a code rent for humanity, curb emissions and dramatically reduce consumption or face a world that is fundamentally different. When Kermit the Frog sang, it's not easy being green. I want you to know that he was wrong. He was wrong. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, 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 blah. It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista, Series 3, The Sky's the Limit. I'm Ian Collins. This is the podcast that eases its way through the green agenda and hopefully from time to time lands that killer punch onto the pompous noses of our politicians. For it is they who should be prioritising the very things we talk about here. For those unaware of the brief, the man at the wheel on each episode is the entrepreneur and environmentalist Dale Vince. He's the owner of Ecotricity, the world's first green energy company and in his other guys he's the chairman of forest green rovers morning dale yeah morning ian how's things yeah good dale yeah good to good to be talking again as we move to your favorite time of year of course which is christmas oh and now you've just gone and ruined my whole vibe did i just kind of <laughs> all the enthusiasm has just gone has it oh shit moment? you reminded me it is christmas soon come it on is, yeah, what'd you do that for what'd you I'm do sorry i don't know i don't know there was something in me just decided to invoke the memory of the festive season i had it completely blanked out i didn't even know i'd blanked it out but it was just yeah. not there you've not got your christmas tree up got nothing up nothing good Glad to hear you're consistent every year. Uh, let's look at this story first, Al. The richest 10% produce around half of greenhouse gases. And the allegation or the suggestion is they should pay more to fix the problem. Yeah, it's a really interesting piece uh, came out a few days ago that, that said that. And, uh, and actually that the poorest half of the planet are responsible for about 10% of its emissions. It's an incredible contrast but the point of the of the article itself was to say that typically we're going about it in the wrong way there's a real problem that you know people less well-off people are afraid of climate policies limiting their spending power by taxing stuff and governments are afraid of that backlash and so they're not doing it and it cites the experience in france in 2018 when they uh, taxed fuel and and got the uh the Yellow Jacket Rebellion. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gilets jaunes were out. <laughs> That's it, yeah. And uh, and actually just pointing out that the, the people with the enormous carbon footprints are the people that can afford the taxes. And so we just need taxes actually that are uh, specifically aimed at them and their lifestyles. In the US, for example, the top 10% richest people in the country have got a carbon footprint of 75 tonnes and half the U.S., the poorest half of the U.S., have got a carbon footprint of just 10 tons. You know, it's an enormous contrast. And so basically a flat rate carbon tax is is a, is a problem, uh, you know, because it's hitting the people with tiny carbon footprints, uh, as you know, in the same way as it does people with bigger carbon footprints who can actually afford to pay yeah. much, much more. And, and the people with the small carbon footprints, you know, pretty much there already in terms of what we need to do to hit our targets. And and so uh, it just needs a kind of more intelligent approach to how we tax to get carbon budgets down. Is it – you see, the only area of this that I'm a little confused about is quite a lot of people in the 10%. There's more people in the 10% than you realise, isn't there? Somebody who earns 40 grand a year is probably in the 10%. Are they? I don't know that. Well, I, 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 th- I mean, if you looked at, the say, the richest 2%, and I wonder what that would, would throw up because hmm. that, that might even be more damning. 
I think it'd be even more extreme. But, I, you yeah. know, I, I doubt, for example, the figures in the US where, with a 75-ton carbon footprint, I doubt that's being done on 40 grand a year. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. These are people that are flying, you know, literally to go to their next-door neighbor's house. Yeah, and it's, it's the stuff they buy and the stuff they invest in, apparently, as well, which, of course, poorer people don't have. They just have the that's stuff true. they buy, their, yeah. their energy bills and their transport bills yeah. and, and, and food, you know, basically. You've got, a, you've, got, you've got a pension portfolio that's in diamond mining and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah, it's interesting these are yeah indeed and that's on the that's the that's the positive uh, you, you've got areas like that that people aren't even considering but these are the areas that you've got to look at now it's great data actually that tells us you know where actually the bulk of the problem sits and and it should help for a, a targeted approach you know yeah. and which which would make it easier to solve the problem because you know blanket rate taxes are going to hurt the hardest off among us uh, you know the most it's regressive um, we need to be smarter than that yeah um, let's look at the effects of all of this on on younger people. There was a, a report out this week about young people. This is worldwide who are incredibly anxious about uh, the climate crisis um, around the world. They looked at 10 countries, the US, the UK, France, Finland, Australia, Portugal, India, Nigeria, Brazil, and the Philippines. Nearly 60% are very or extremely worried about the climate crisis. 45% say the negativity affects their daily life. Wow. Yeah, well, that's pretty shocking, isn't it? I guess you can understand it, actually. When I was a kid, it was the Cold War and um, the imminent threat of nuclear destruction, mutual destruction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a really live issue in the 60s and 70s. It's the kind of thing you thought was just, well, I did anyway, was, you know, just I, I was waiting. I used to wait for Blue Peter to build a nuclear bunker, you know, as one of, <laughs> here's one we made earlier out in the Blue Peter garden. They loved showing off that bloody garden, didn't they? I thought any yeah. time, any moment now, Val and Peter are going to go out there and actually start digging downwards uh, mm. tell us how to because it was there was that vibe around them. I'm, I'm sort of more of a child of the 70s but, and in that early part of the 80s when I remember very much even up to Frankie goes to Hollywood and two tribes you know this whole thing was there mm. wasn't it, it was yeah it was it was there and so I you know I do wonder whether kids are um more more disposed to worrying about these big events, you know, the more sensitive to the yeah. to the fear of that. Certainly, as a kid, for me, it was about that uh, nuclear destruction, and and I can understand kids today being afraid of, of climate change in the same way. It's it's just big scary thing that they're born into uh, or kind of growing up with, and uh, you know, probably affects them more than it does adults. Yeah. Here's a question from Colin, who says, uh, Dale and Ian, long-time listener, thanks for the pod. So I'm very keen to get your view on the carbon footprint of sport and film and TV industries. Uh, Dale, you said you went to see the Bond movie. Didn't you get a pang of distress for the carbon that must have been emitted making that blockbuster? <laughs> that never crossed my mind, actually. I was a bit disappointed by the film. Oh, were you? That's uh, yeah, interesting, because I'm, I'm hearing good things from a lot of people. But I, I think that's largely because it kind of uh, – Apparently takes Bond into a, a a very different, more feminine character. Apparently, is that right? Spoiler alert: Well, he dies. Oh, that's that's interesting. I was going to see it tonight. <laughs> ah, shit. I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think he. I don't think he gets particularly feminine. I think there's a suggestion that the next Bond might be a woman. There is a. Well, uh, can we talk about it? Yeah, can be fine. Run it. Yeah, there is a 007, double 007 in the film. Right. There's a woman there uh, who's replaced him while he's retired or something like that. I mean, I can't remember too much. I had a couple of beers while I was watching it. Yeah. And, and I just thought it was a bit boring. And 
and kind of recycled in terms of Bond plots and Bond gags and, you know, that kind of stuff. Anyway, sounds Well, I was like- – I mean, on this point, though, I was talking to somebody, and this gets into all sorts of areas, not just uh, film crews that have flown around the world, particularly on something as big as Bond, where multiple locations, you're, you're taking hundreds of people from, you know, place to place. So there's that. And then there's a kind of moral thing, and I was talking to somebody who works in, in film editing, and they're working on something, uh, a shot that's going to take – probably about 56 days to put together. It's a film, about 56 days to put it together for about 30 seconds on screen. And the budget for this one moment is about two and a half million quid. And she was saying, that's just quite obscene. And in fact, it wasn't even that relevant to the plot of the film. But of course, you know, the vanity of filmmakers, they want to make everything look shiny and good. And so there's, I suppose, that issue of, uh, sort of financial extremism, to put it that way. Yeah, and I, I guess it's like an arms race as well, isn't it, in Hollywood and in filmmaking? Every year we see bigger budgets and, you know, more special effects. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I think the the problem these guys have is that uh, they've got to keep exceeding expectations or meeting them uh, even. You know, it's a bit of an arms race the way I look at it. Yeah. But, uh, on the film front, actually. Interesting piece of news. I think I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's a documentary being made about uh, Forest Green Rovers. Fantastic. We start filming next week, and it's being funded by FIFA, and uh, it could uh, it could land on some of those big uh, platforms that I'm definitely not allowed to mention at this moment in time. But they're going to shoot for six or seven months for the rest of our season as we look. Sure. I'm, I'm not going to say nailed on for a promotion, but it's looking pretty good. And uh, and then follow it up next season as well. It looks like it's going to run for several years, which is kind of like a big wow. deal as well. That is good. Yeah, and these guys are shooting for one month to make a one-hour episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's but, extraordinary, isn't it? It's a yeah. lot of work they do. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that, and I understand that that process. I know what it's like in audio where you you know, you can record hours of stuff just to get 20 minutes and the like. But mm. I guess it's the that question of excess, isn't it, you know, when it comes to big, uh, Hollywood and the film blockbusters, industry. absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. you know, bands traveling around the world. That's you know, you look at their gig dates. They're in Sao Paulo. They're in Sydney. They're in London. They're in Berlin. Yeah. And they're back to Auckland. And uh, now these are. Do we stop all of that? Is that what we're meant to do? Yeah, and and I think in some cases, you know, you've got bands talking a good game about carbon footprints, and then saying, "Oh, you know what? I can't give up my private jet." I think that was Coldplay, actually. Yeah, and uh, and you think, well, come on, guys, you've got to do better than that. I don't think we should stop touring completely. I mean, it's a little bit, I mean, the question comes up in sport. Should we have international football competitions, for example? And, yeah, yeah. and you know, and I think it's a mistake to be having those conversations actually, because there's so much that we can fix before we have to worry about that aspect of life and entertainment like films, football, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's really important to, you know, literally millions and tens of millions of people, you know, that's an important part of culture that we missed, for example, when we had the lockdown two yep. years ago, and I think that it also gives the wrong impression that the life we need to live to get to zero carbon is a life of denial and giving stuff up. And sure. there's so many big things we can do before we need to worry about flying. And by the time we get to there, 10 years from now, there will be electric planes. And so I just think it's a mistake yeah. to put that at the front of the debate. And also just a final point from Colin. He says, uh, I'm eagerly watching to see if Dale embarks on a political career, maybe alongside Gary Neville. I, I first read that as Gary Barlow. I thought, well, oh, really, is he going into politics? Uh, you found, you found, we've talked about this. We've covered this territory on 
previous episodes, Dale. Do you, you fancy a, a little bit of politics? Well, you know, I've been thinking about it for a while. It's kind of trailered in my book, isn't it? Kind of uh, yeah, you know, yeah. put out there as a possibility. And yeah, I still, I'm still not in a place where I made a decision. But I didn't know Gary Neville was thinking about it, or maybe he's not. Maybe that's just... Um... Well, I guess he gets a bit... Poli- I didn't know he was, but he, he, he kind of makes his views known in a sort of Lineker-esque mm-hmm. kind of way. Oh, he's outspoken, isn't he? Uh, you know, yeah. he's very direct. I, I like what he does. I like what he says. Also this, Ofgem blamed for errors that led to energy firms collapsing. Did you see this headline? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't write it. Do we? <laughs> Could you have written it, though? That's the question. I may have said it. <laughs> yeah. Do you have meetings with Ofgem in your time? Yeah, some, some. But look, I think this is like saying the sun rises in the east. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's like yeah, we we all know this actually. Uh, but it was only a headline, and behind that was a report from Citizen Advice Bureau, I think it was, looking into the causes of the crisis. And you know they got it, they got it pretty right. But this is stuff that's been going on a long time. Like they said, you know, for ten years, yeah, uh, Ofgem have been allowing reckless gambles in the energy market. We first flagged it in relation to a company called Ovo, which was a startup back in the day that was funding its losses from customer credit balances because it, it got people to pay one month in advance for their energy and then use that to fund loss making. And wow. we, we flagged that to off That's unregulated banking right yeah, there, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, and they were paying interest on the money as well, the like a bank. But off weren't interested, so... Uh, this from Shelley on Facebook. Oh, here we go. Gary Neville is 500 to 1 on becoming the next Prime Minister. Fancy joining him. It's another question about your political uh, affiliation. Well, I'd like to know what my odds are. <laughs> well, I put you above Neville every day of the week, frankly. Well, there's a competition on now. So, yeah, yeah, I'm going to check it out when I get off, off this call. <laughs> this one from James. Is your audio book out yet, Dale? Oh, thanks, James, because actually it is. And we found this out finally. Well, no, it's been out kind of on some platforms for a a week or so. Uh, Audible is the one we were struggling to get it on. And we pulled that off, I think, finally yesterday. You might have to bring the book bugle back, but the audio version of it in, maybe there isn't one. There it it is. There's the book bugle, the distant book bugle, but it was there. In fact, we can go one better. We can play, because this it's narrated by yourself and Chris Packham, isn't it, the book? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And had a good fun, actually, doing that. I learned a lot about um, speaking, actually, (laughs) funnily enough. I thought I knew how to speak. (laughs) Until until somebody asks you to narrate an entire book. Let's have a listen. Modern life is without respect for nature, or the value of anything, perhaps other than money. We pump pollution into the air and sea as if we think it will magically disappear. And for a while it kind of did. But seven billion of us doing this has made it noticeable. We need to evolve the way we live so that it's within planetary boundaries, within the scope of what our planet can sustain. Everything we need and all we can ever have is on this planet. If we don't balance things up, then ultimately... We won't be a species this planet supports. It's a simple big picture. We're at the boundaries now. We have to evolve or die. But it's not all doom and gloom by any means. I'm not. This book is not. I spent my life in pursuit of a different way to live. This book is about my journey, the discoveries, the experiences, and real-world application of the very basic ideas that are at the heart of what's evolved into a plan my manifesto, if you like, road-tested and born of life as I have lived it. The stuff I've been pursuing, have believed in all my life, has become technologically and economically possible and existentially imperative. That's rather cool from my perspective. 
So that's an audio clip from the audio book of The Manifesto. And if you sign up for a free month trial of Amazon's Audible service, they'll give you the audio book for free. And there's loads more good stuff there as well to listen to. So uh, uh, so get over to Amazon's Audible and uh, download away. Go for it. And, of course, you can search for Dale's audiobook on Google as well to find non-Amazon alternatives. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking, shit, I didn't realize Audible was Amazon. And I was a bit uncomfortable listening to you plugging Amazon there. I, don't know why. <laughs> I, I did just... wonder when I said, I thought, What's... <laughs> he's going to say something to this, but... Uh... They are. It's, uh, They're I everywhere, mean, aren't they? Yeah, they can't they be have, avoided. They yeah. haven't declined your book. That's the point. Well, that's true. Something Does that make them good guys? No, probably not. I also saw this story. Uh, could climate lawsuits help save the planet? Oh, it's a good question. I'm going to have to say yes. Activists uh, are increasingly suing governments and companies to take action against climate change and winning. Mm, so could yeah, that be are. almost the turning point? Well, I think it's definitely part of the turning point. Uh, you know, I think we'll see fear in the fossil fuel companies uh, of being sued because it's becoming obvious, like with tobacco, that they've known about yeah, this yeah. for a long time. They've suppressed the science and the data. They've lied about it, that kind of stuff. And that costs big tobacco an awful lot of money eventually. So I think uh, fossil fuel companies are going to be very wary of that. Um, countries less so. I don't think they're so fearful. But uh, there's been some good progress in Europe, actually, yep. in terms of suing governments for not having done enough france holland are very good examples of that so i mean i say all power to the elbow elbows of people that are doing that and here's a final question from darren on facebook any thoughts on making the internet more sustainable what is meant by that i think it's about data centers uh, i'm gonna guess and you know they have a big energy consumption and carbon footprint and yeah, funnily true. enough it's like these it's like these questions have been sprinkled in there deliberately i don't uh, <laughs> that's that's like spooky because we were contacted by a data center just last week just up the road from us uh, in stroud and and they claim to have the best ratio of, of data centers in the world of energy used to power the servers compared to energy used to cool the servers they've got a like a three letter acronym for that which i can't remember uh, but they claim to have the best one of those and they've got a big roof and they're interested in solar panels and that kind of stuff and running on green energy so we're going to get stuck into that going to work with them and see if we can't just take that data center properly green so yeah i think i mean it's a really important thing to do because the rise of cloud computing and use of internet and all of that yeah. kind of stuff is creating a huge energy-consuming industry. And well, it, haven't it, you got it, kind it, of deserts that are just literally full of hard drives, which is storing all of this data, uh, literally thousands of square miles of these boxes, essentially, in warehouses where all of our little emails and notes go to? Yeah, and it's a dumb place to do it in a desert because the big challenge with data centers is cooling them. So, so that, yeah, you'd have a double bubble of issue there. Then. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, let's go to a desert, create some heat, and then cool it. Yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I love the logic of that. You'd like to be in the board meeting when that one came up. <laughs> yeah. Anybody object? Yeah. Nope. That's carried. Let's move that forward. Fantastic. Which way to the Sahara? <laughs> well, we really need a data centers embedded uh, within towns and cities where we can do a combined heat and power thing. Yeah. And so instead of taking that excess heat and throwing it into the atmosphere, use it to heat people's homes. What well, that would make perfect sense. Yeah. It's a shame you weren't in the board meeting, Dale. That's all yeah, I can Dan. say. Yeah. Uh, listen, that's it for this episode. Have a cracking week, Dale. Blimey, that went quick. Very. We will speak next Friday.
Yeah, cheers, Ian. Take it easy. Cheers, Dale. Uh, that's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Uh, do leave a review there as well and share it with as many people as you possibly can. If you want to get in touch, you can email comments and questions to zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk and do follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince. Zero Carbon East Off.